Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45211. It is our mission to worship God and follow Jesus as we love and serve in His name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come see us sometime at 1030 on a Sunday morning or each Wednesday as we feed the community at 530 p.m. We hope the following message inspires you in some way. morning. It is certainly good to be uh, back in Cincinnati. If you um, do have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be, be spending our morning in that, uh, in that chapter. So talking about good practices, uh, a while back, <clears throat> one of the members in the church in uh, Cochabamba asked me, well, um, how many times should, should we meet during the week? I told him, well, uh, more is always better than less, right? And then he asked me, well, how many times should we pray? Well, I don't know, but more is always better than less. And then he asked, well, how many times should we read our Bibles? And I said, well, I don't know. But more is always better than less. And, and the same is with sermons, right? Uh, longer is better than shorter, right? That's a good practice. A good practice. So we've been talking about um, the mission of God's chosen for the, for the past 10 months. And uh, it's been a blessing for me to be able to uh, uh, prepare lessons, of course, and, and share them uh, with you. Um, today is real special, and talking about this lesson in particular, because tomorrow, uh, Trish and I are flying out of Cincinnati, and we'll be uh, uh, traveling to Argentina, and then Chile, and then Bolivia. We're going to be visiting eight different churches, and five different cities, and three uh, different countries. And so we've been looking forward to this trip for a long time, of course. We weren't able to travel in March because of uh, uh, COVID in, in South America, and then, of course, in June. Um, I, I injured myself, and so now we're combining both of those trips into one, and that's why we're planning on being gone for, for so long. And so we're so excited to, to see everyone and be uh, among the, the, the churches there and see how the gospel has, has worked in their lives since, we've, uh, since we last saw them. So we left Bolivia in um, August of last year, so it'll be a year and change since we've seen them, but the churches in Chile and Argentina, we haven't seen them since March 2020 when, uh, when COVID hit, and we were on our trip, of course, visiting the churches there when uh, uh, all of a sudden the world started shutting down. We uh, ended up leaving Argentina on the last flight out of the country. Uh, the, the country closed down at midnight. We left at 11.55 p.m. is when our flight left. So we barely got out of Argentina. So it's been uh, about two and a half years since, uh, since we've seen them. Um, so we're excited to, uh, to get back and, and, and visit and uh, spend some time encouraging. I'm going to be doing different things in, in different churches because, of course, the, the, their needs are, are different. So the mission of God's chosen is what we've been, we've been looking at. And, of course, we've talked about how God's mission is our mission, and when we talk about his mission, we're talking about reconciling, reconciling man unto himself and fixing everything, 
uh, bringing everything together again when Jesus comes back and he wants us all to be a part of that. But he not only wants us to be a part of that moment, but he wants us to be a part of sharing that story with, uh, with the world. And so our identity as, as his chosen, uh, he's given us a task to do. He has chosen us uh, for uh, friendship. He has chosen us for uh, fullness. He has chosen us also for fruitfulness. It's something that we saw a few months uh, back. And then talking about evangelism uh, a couple months ago, we talked about how evangelism is a, is a divine work because, of course, it's God's work. Uh, he's the one that does all the adding. He's the one that really does everything. We, our part is very little. But it is, of course, a delegated work because he has assigned certain tasks for us to do. And so us being his feet, us being his, his mouthpieces, we share the gospel. We go and we share the gospel. We talked about how it's also a dual work because evangelism has to do with two things, Luke says in uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. It has to do with not only uh, preaching the gospel, but baptizing people and, of course, the Lord adding them to the church. So it has to do with salvation, and it has to do with adding to the church. Now, we don't do the adding. We don't do the saving. It's Jesus that does it, but there's a two-fold aspect to evangelism, and that's saving and being added to the church. Both things go together. And then we concluded talking about how it's a daily work because the Lord added daily those who were being saved. And so when we go about doing um, our part, uh, sharing the story with others, the Lord will add to the body daily is at least how that took place in the past. So a, a few weeks ago, I started a series in Troy called uh, Four in One. It's, um, it's an introduction to the Gospels, four portraits of, of one Lord. And so we've been, we've been looking at uh, each Gospel um, kind of a bird's-eye view of each one of them, um, giving everybody an idea of what each gospel is about. That way uh, they can have some tools and, of course, spend some time on their own uh, digging deep into each one of the gospels, and it's been a, a really good study. But one of the things that we talked about in that Bible class is the difference between good news and the good news. Uh, gospel and the gospel. You see, gospel is just about bringing good news. But the gospel is bringing great news about what God has done for mankind. And so what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is just not good news. It's the good news. It's the greatest news ever. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that the, the gospel is all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But when you read the gospels, it's much more than just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the fact that God came to earth and uh, uh, came as a needy person because he came as a baby. He needed mama. He needed papa from the very beginning. Uh, but he grew up to be a man, of course, and then we read about the, his life and ministry and, of course, where that led him. So the difference between a gospel and the gospel the gospel is wonderful news about what Jesus has done. That's kind of a summary. So today we want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, talking about how the gospel works. 
How does it work? We all love it, right? We all love good news, and we all love the good news. We like uh, reading about it. We love studying about it. We love studying and reading about what God has done for us and all the blessings that we enjoy uh, because of it. So all of us love the gospel, right? The problem is not everybody loves to share the gospel. And, that, and, that, and that's a problem. Not every Christian likes to uh, tell the story to other people, tell the good news to other people, tell the best news to other people. And so that makes, uh, that, that builds to the fact that um, there's a danger, a danger of the best news becoming the best kept secret. And that's something, of course, that we mentioned before, but that's something that we do not want to happen. Now, in a poll taken by an organization called Transformational Discipleship, gave the, the, the following uh, results. It says 78% of Christians have never shared the gospel. 78%. 15% of Christians have uh, shared it once or twice in their lives. 7% have shared the gospel with others three or more times. 59% of Christians have never invited anyone to church. 30% have invited someone once or twice. And only 10% have invited someone three or more times. Now, in uh, uh, Bible.org, uh, it says the following. 95% of all Christians have never brought a person to Christ. Reasons? Well... 20% say because they've been discouraged. They tried to do it at one point, but they, become, they became very discouraged because it was a bad experience. Arguments, discussions that didn't lead anywhere, and so they had become discouraged. 40, 43% say because they were shy and afraid to talk to strangers about spiritual matters because, you know, we do live in a time where religion is a private thing. And 41% have never shared because of fear. Fear that they, that, that they won't be able to answer difficult questions that come up, and so they decide not even to, to bring it up. So sharing the gospel, we all love it, but, you know, um, we all love the gospel, but, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to share the gospel. So that's why I want for us to talk about, well, how does it, how does it work? How does the gospel work? Now, we know that like we read this morning in, in Romans chapter 1 and, and verse 16, the gospel is God's power for salvation for the Jew and the Gentile. Now, when, when Paul wrote those words in, 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 in uh, Romans chapter 1, what he was doing is he, he was setting up the moment to share the reasons why he personally is not ashamed of the gospel. And so he talks from the very beginning about, see, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You want to know why? Because man created in the image of God, and, and God, who's revealed himself from the very beginning, um, there's a problem here because there's a, there's a relational problem. Mankind has left God. And so consequently, man, mankind has fallen into 
sin, and it doesn't matter whether you are Jew or a Gentile. And so that sin, is, of course, has its consequences. But you see, God doesn't want us to suffer those consequences. And so he sent his son, Jesus. Okay? And through Jesus, we receive this, this thing that he calls in the book of Romans justification because the book of Romans is all about justification, all about being right with God. And so thanks to Jesus, we are right with God. And so his grace and his mercy overshadows his justice. And so in Christ, there is no condemnation. So that's why Paul expresses the fact that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. But the question for us is, well, yeah, but how does it work? You see, God wishes to bless, something that we talked about, I think, in our second lesson in February. God wishes to bless and not punish mankind. That's good news, that he wants to bless and not punish and the good news is that Jesus died and was buried for our sins, was raised from the dead, giving us hope also to be raised from the dead. Now, for those of us who have believed and obeyed uh, Christ, the, go the gospel is, is extremely important to us, and that's, of course, why, why we love it. But today, I'd like for us to look at how the gospel works, how it should work, how it was designed work. So we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, that this whole section there, as a matter of fact, uh, chapter 1 is just a, a marvelous discourse about how the gospel works. And there's a few things that we can understand when we read the passage. This is kind of introductory to the concept. A few things we understand from the text. First of all, sharing the gospel should be something natural. It shouldn't be something that we plan to do in some kind of campaign that we're going to have in May or in March, or we're going to go out knocking doors some Sunday in whenever. The, the sharing the gospel is something that should come uh, out of who we are. We should be sharing it in a spontaneous way. It should be natural. It should flow naturally from the church. As a matter of fact, it seems that Paul really never separates the, the gospel from the church because both are inseparable. There's a very important relationship between the church of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel exists because, the church exists because of the gospel. The church exists in order to share the gospel. And so what the church does is the church preaches and teaches and shares the story, shares the good news with those of us who are around us. Now, a third thing we observe from the text is that the sharing of the gospel isn't something only done by professionals. Okay, there was never that kind of person in the church. You see, Paul wasn't a professional preacher. He was just somebody who was converted and decided that he was going to preach for the rest of his life. But through the, the, the first century, one of the th I was talking to somebody on Friday, and how uh, 
uh, he, he was sharing that in Ohio about 70 years ago, um, uh, local preachers wasn't a big thing. You know, that, that's been something that's happened maybe the last 30 or 40 years. He said, but here in this area, what was characteristic about 50, 60, 70 years ago were itinerant preachers that would go from city to city and they'd stay. Or, or maybe they would travel for, for a couple hours and preach on a Sunday or, or do campaigns here or there. You see, th th this idea of itinerant preachers, and, and that's kind of the way it was in the first century. Local preachers, that wasn't too common. Even Paul was not a local preacher. Now, he did spend about three years in Ephesus. You see, but he didn't spend three years in Ephesus as the local preacher. He spent three years in Ephesus uh, teaching at the school of Tyrannus, preparing others to go out and preach the gospel. So this idea that sharing the gospel or evangelizing is only for professionals, no, that, that, that's not true. And when we read this passage, specifically here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul lays that out very clear. It's a responsibility of every Christian. It's a part of uh, our lives. It doesn't matter who we are. So how does it work? You see, it can be very frustrating to have access to something that is very useful, but you don't, how to operate, you don't know how to operate it. So about 10 years ago, Trish and I were, had come back on furlough, and we were going to be traveling, visiting all our supporters, and of course we came up to Ohio at that time. And some friends of ours in Texas, they loaned us their vehicle, a Toyota Prius. Okay, uh, uh, Priuses, they're hybrids, and they're, they're a little different. Now, um, they had taught us, you know, how to turn it on and everything, but uh, I forgot. So one day we were in Clarksville, Tennessee, with some, visiting some friends, and we had gone out to, uh, uh, to Starbucks one morning. And we had had a cup of coffee, Trish and I. And we got back in the car, and I thought I remembered how to turn it on, and I, I didn't do it right. So it, it wouldn't start. And so I, I broke out the manual, and yeah, I had missed up the, the procedure. You have to do one, two, three, you have to do it just right. You have to you know, press the brake at the right time and uh, all that kind of stuff. So it wouldn't turn on. And so I went through the, 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 the manual, and uh, it explained uh, what I had to do. Well, evidently, it, it, it wouldn't do it because it, has to, it takes about two hours to reset after you've done it wrong. <laughs> So at least I didn't have to take it to a mechanic, right? But see, it's frustrating when you have something that's really good and useful and you just don't know how to operate it or you don't, have, you don't know how to operate it right. And that's the way it can be with the gospel also. So how does it work? So today I want for us to look at how the gospel works. And there's three movements in the gospel that make it powerful to save. Now, of course, in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul makes it very clear that what makes the, the, the gospel work, of course, is the resurrection of Jesus. We know that. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. And so I think it is in verse 4 of chapter 1, Paul says that um, uh, he, was pro he proved himself to be the Son of God through the resurrection. And, of course, without the resurrection, there is no good news. 
But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he shares some ideas here that, that talk about certain movements or the way the gospel works. And so we read that passage. We're not going to go through it again. We're not going to read the whole thing again. But I do want to make, uh, we will look at a few of the verses that we did read already. So first of all, the first movement of the gospel. The gospel is received, reception. That's the first movement of the gospel. So verse 5, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. I, I usually don't, but this was in the back. I brought with me my Spanish Bible because we're going to Latin America. I, I didn't bring my, my English Bible with me. So I got a Bible from the back. This is the New King James Version. Verse 5 says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much, much assurance. As you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. So this concept of receiving. The church in Thessalonica received the gospel. And they received the gospel because it came in two ways. And this is super important. It came in two ways. First of all, it came in word. Now he says, it did not come to you in word only. Okay, so it, it did come to them in word because Good news has to do with words, right? It has to do with a message. Now, it didn't, come, it didn't come in word only, but it did come in word because the gospel is expressed with words. The gospel, good news, is expressed with, with, with our mouths. It's good news. And good news is, of course, expressed with words. You can't share the gospel without words. The gospel is not only something we live, but it's also something we share with the way we speak, with the message that we give. Throughout the New Testament, the concept of gospel is also paralleled with the Word of God. Okay, so we know that gospel, the gospel is good news, but it has to do with the Word also. It's interesting how even here in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the gospel as something that you need to obey. You see, so it's not just about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the whole thing. It's the whole message. And so it's paralleled with the Word of God because the good news is shared. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How will they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without somebody preaching to them? So the gospel always comes in word. Now, getting to the second point, because, of course, the gospel is shared in, in, in words or with words. In Matthew chapter 9, verse, verse 37, Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples uh, out to preach the gospel to different places. And in uh, verse 37, it says, Jesus, looking at the multitudes, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he felt compassion on them. And it says that he had been out preaching and healing the sick during that time. And so when he saw them, he had compassion. Just a few verses later, he takes his disciples 
and he names them as his apostles. And then in verses 5 through 8, he tells them, now you go and preach for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and go and heal the sick and clean uh, the lepers. You see, there's two aspects to sharing the gospel and of receiving the gospel. So the gospel comes in word, but it doesn't come in word only. You see, because the gospel also comes in a life that expresses the message. That expresses the message. So, a life, our lives need to personify the message that we preach. Go back. It needs to personify the message that we preach. And so, verse 5, did not come in word also, but in power, it says and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So it didn't, didn't come in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in full conviction. What does all this mean? Power. Well, the gospel is powerful. The gospel has a powerful effect while it's preached, but when it's also accompanied by a life that matches the message. You see, if my life doesn't match the message that I preach, it loses its power. It loses its power. It loses its effectiveness. And that was the big problem, of course, with the Pharisees. Now, how does it come through the Holy Spirit? Well, I think in different ways. One, the message is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But also, the messenger. Aren't we influenced by the Holy Spirit also? And we, when we are influenced by the Holy Spirit, what happens is that the Holy Spirit has transformed us, and we become uh, like Jesus, and we uh, live like the Holy Spirit expects us to live, like God expects us to live. And of course, that's a, a, a problem we all have. Sometimes we pay too close attention to the flesh and not enough attention to the spirit, and so we end up making mistakes in life. But when we pay attention to the spirit and we let ourselves be influenced by the spirit, good things happen. Good things happen. And so, in the Holy Spirit also. But then he says, in full conviction or certainty. Full conviction or certainty. Now, the New King James Version says, with much assurance. Because when the gospel is preached, the words that are accompanied by life that represent it produce in the person that's listening deep conviction because they see that, hey, it really works. I knew this guy 10 years ago, and he is not the same person. Evidently, the message that he or she is sharing works. You see, it causes deep and profound conviction, certainty in the person that, 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 that is listening. So what happens? Well, when the gospel is shared with words and with a life that um, personify those words, others will welcome it. Others receive it. So this word that Paul talks about, 
that uses here that, that talks about receiving is this word welcome. It is welcomed into the life uh, of that person because they hear the message, but they also see that it works because of the testimony, the personal testimony of that person. So the gospel produces a powerful effect powerful effect in one while he or she hears the message and observes the messenger. So Paul says this phrase, and you know what kind of men we prove to be. You know. And of course, now, the, when Paul writes this letter, the church in Thessalonica had only been a church for about maybe a year. Paul only spent a few months in Thessalonica, and then he had to leave. He started the, started the church there, and then he had to leave because problems arose. And then he uh, descended, he went to, to Corinth. Now, a few months ago, Trish and I were in the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica, is a, it's called Thessaloniki now, but it's a big city. And the walls that surround the ancient city, they're huge. And the ancient city was also pretty big. So you see the, 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 the wall that basically three-fourths of the wall are still there. And so when you're on, on the top of the hill, and Thessalonica is in a bay, it's right on the coast. So when, when you're looking down at the city, you can see how the, the, the wall just goes around the ancient city. And of course, it's not ancient anymore because it's all built up. But you, the wall is still there. It's about 30 feet thick. And it's still there. A big city, but see... Paul only spent about two or three months there. And then he left, and a few months later, he wrote this letter. So they've only been a church for, for a little while. And so he tells them, you know what kind of men we were when we were among you. Chapter 2 talks about Paul's experience in Thessalonica. And all the different things that this church knows about him and about those who accompanied him. Notice chapter 2, verse 1. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, of course, they went through lots of problems, but their coming wasn't in vain because they became Christians, of course. And then he says, um, verse 2, But after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know. You see, and he repeats this thing, this phrase, on and on, and you know, and you know, and you know. They knew Paul. They just didn't know of him because, yeah, they had heard of him. No, they knew who he was, and they knew the type of person that he was. And hearing the message that he preached... And knowing the person that he was, they had welcomed the gospel. You see, this is the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 15 is that famous chapter about hypocrisy. And he warned his disciples, These people honor me through their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's, a, there's an expression in Spanish. When you're not convinced of something, you're, you're just doing it from the mouth outwards. That's the phrase, from the mouth outwards. You're really not committed to anything. 
And so Christians, they'll, they'll refer to this as Christians who really don't live the Christian life. They're just Christians from the mouth out. And that's the way the Pharisees were. They were true Jews from here on out. Their lips are far from me, is what Jesus said. So, in chapter 23, in verse 3, Jesus told them, all that they tell you, do those things. Observe those things that they tell you, but don't do according to their deeds. Because they say things, but they don't do them. Hypocrites. You see, a good holy life gives power to the message that we, that we share. That's exactly what Paul did. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's what God did through Jesus. You see, if the gospel were just about a message, were just about the news, were just about words, God would have just thrown us a book. You want words? There's a book. But he sent his son. And John says that his son was the living word. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and then John says, and we saw His glory. You see, he lived what he taught. Paul lived what he taught. And that's what gave power to the message, and that's why uh, these people in Thessalonica, of course, received the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about Christians as being ambassadors of God. God speaking through us. Be reconciled. You see, we're ambassadors, not secret agents. So the question, do people know who you are? And they should, because of the way you live, the way we live. So, the gospel, first of all, is received. That's how it works. It's welcomed. But it's welcomed when it's shared with words and with a life that represent those words. Secondly, what happens after receiving and, and, and welcoming the gospel? Well, it redirects. You see, the gospel changes. The gospel causes change in our lives. So when they received the gospel, they began to live. They began to conduct themselves in a different way. Their lives changed. Here, these Christians here in Thessalonica, their lives changed. Their, the gospel gave them a new direction in life. It changed them. Um, I really hadn't had a lot of interest in church or Bible until... Um, Denise was born. Uh, you know her as Alina. She's still Denise to me, I'm sorry. Uh, um, and when Denise was born, something happened in me, and uh, I knew that things needed to change. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew that something in this guy needed to change. And so, of course, uh, I started reading on my own, and I started studying on my own and listening to different messages on the radio. And, and uh, anyways, uh, 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 long story short, Trish and I, shortly after, we, we, we became Christians, and our lives were changed. 
You see, because that's what the gospel does. It gives new direction in life, and the gospel changed them. Now notice, first of all, verse 9. Verse 9. How did it change them? Maybe not. Okay, there they are. It changed them in five ways. First of all, notice verse 9. It says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, first of all, they turned away from idolatry. They turned away from their old ways of life. So, repentance. A change in their lives. That's the first thing. The second thing. They had hope. The gospel gave them hope. They anticipated Christ's return, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who deliver us, um, delivers us from the wrath to come. So, they, they had hope. This is one of the things about paganism. Now, we, we lived for 16 years in Bolivia. And one of the main religions in Bolivia is paganism. And so uh, some people every week, some people just once a month, the first, uh, I think it's the first Friday of every month, they go out and they burn their sacrifices out on the street. I think we've talked about this before. And, uh, but all they're doing is they're offering these sacrifices up to, up to their gods to, so the gods don't get mad at them. But do they have any hope after this life? No. Paganism doesn't offer any kind of hope. And most of these people were Gentiles. They had no hope. Well, now, because of the gospel, they have hope. That gives new direction in life. You see, hope. That's what this book is all about. That's what 1 Thessalonians is all about. It's about hope. So at the end of each chapter, Paul mentions our hope. We just read it in verse 10 of chapter 1. You go to chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And then chapter 3. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. And then the end of chapter 4 and the end of chapter 5, the same thing, hope. The gospel brings hope. That's what the gospel brought to these people. They began following spiritual leaders. You see, their spiritual allegiance changed. And so they started following not political re uh, uh, leaders, not social leaders, but spiritual leaders. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, says Paul in verse 6. That word follower in the Greek is the word mimites. Mimetes, mimetes, mimic. It means to mimic. So what they started to do is they started not to just follow. It's too bad that they, uh, that the, in the New King James Version, they translated the word follow because following is more than just, uh, or 
um, being, becoming like Jesus is more, just, more than just walking behind him. It has to do with imitating. It has to do with mimicking. And that's the word, of course, that Paul uses here. They began to mimic the apostles, to mimic Jesus. You see, that's the essence of being a disciple uh, of Jesus Christ, mimicking, following his example. You know, a good example is of no use unless you imitate it. What good is a good example if you're not going to imitate it? And in this case, Paul was a good example. Jesus was a good example, and of course, they imitated that. Verse 6, verse 6, the last part, it says, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? Joy in the same phrase as suffering, as tribulation, as affliction. Usually those two things don't go together. Affliction and joy? Well, what's so joyful about affliction? Well, you see, when you understand the gospel, in the midst of affliction you can still live a joyful life. Now, does that mean you're going to walk around with a smile on your face? No. But see, joy is much more than just a smile on your face and being happy. It has to do with satisfaction in life and being content with what you have. And then fifthly, because it changed them in five ways, they became examples to others. They followed good examples, and then they themselves became examples to others. So verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Not just in Thessalonica, but they became examples for people in the whole region. So such an interesting concept. You see the process. They were converted. They lived with hope. They lived with anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. They imitated Paul. They imitated Christ. They were persecuted. And in all that, they became imitators for others to imitate. Or they became examples, sorry, for others to imitate. The imitators became ones being imitated. That is true maturity. When you go from just following an example to being an example to others. That's true maturity. So how does the gospel work? We welcome it, we receive it, and then it redirects our lives. It gives us a new direction. It changes our lives. Thirdly, and finally, verse 8, the gospel resounds. For the word of God, it says, for the word of the Lord has sounded, this is verse 8, has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. The word of the Lord has sounded forth. So from receiving to sounding forth. So you compare verses six, verse 6 with verse 8, they received it, and verse 8, it sounded forth. They welcomed it, then it rang out. This is the Greek word, Ekekeo. We get the word echo from it. You ever been in a canyon or uh, in a big building? Kind of like this because you kind of hear an echo in here. 
You see, that's the idea. You say something, and then it comes back to you. Well, that's what the gospel had done. It had come to them, and then it echoed. That's the idea of resounding. And it resounded to Macedonia and Achaia and even to Corinth, where Paul was, because he said, hey, I've heard. I've heard about your example. You see, because the gospel isn't something private, where you have your faith and I have my faith. It doesn't work that way. The gospel is public. The gospel is for everybody. And so resounding is a part of it. Sharing the gospel should be the natural result of having received it and it having changed my life. The gospel was not a private thing for Jesus. And it's never been a private thing for the church. So when we receive it, when we welcome the gospel, it changes our lives. It gives us new direction, and then it resounds naturally. Every single one of us. Remember, the gospel isn't something that's preached by the professionals. It's changed every single one of us. It needs to resound also. Now here, like I mentioned before, the church was a young and a small church at the time. But Paul writes back and saying, I have heard wonderful things that you guys who at one at one at one point in your lives were following us have now become examples for others to follow because the gospel has sounded forth so this is how the gospel was designed to work we welcome it we receive it and then it changes all sorts of things on the inside it gives us new direction in life. And the natural result should be, of course, it echoing, it resounding to others. So a lot of people have told me, Butch, I just don't know what to say. Well, just tell people what Jesus did for you. But I don't know all the verses. You don't need to know the verses. Just tell. And if you need to look up some verses later on because the person is, I well, you... And if you can't find it, well, ask somebody. But some way, somehow, it needs to echo from our lives. So if we want to be any part of God's plans and his eternal purpose, his mission, we have to understand how the gospel works. We need to understand that it has to echo from our lives. Trish and I are excited about our trip. We're leaving tomorrow, 7 a.m. from CBG. We've got to be there at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now, we're going to be flying into Mendoza, Argentina. Then we're going to be going to Viña del Mar, Chile. Then coming back to Mendoza, Buenos Aires. And then to Chile, where we're going to be visiting five different congregations. Um, and observing how the gospel has worked in their lives. Now, we kind of know because we've been in touch with them. But seeing them and seeing how the gospel has worked in their lives is something that we're looking forward to. We're grateful to this church who helps make our mission possible. You all have been a part of our ministry for, for about 10 years now. Okay? And we don't consider this just our mission. This is our mission. 
And we're grateful for that. And our prayer is that you all here at Central will be able to do the exact same thing in your community. I know that you've received the gospel. I know that it's changed your lives. Well, let it echo. Share that with others. Because that's the way it works. God bless you.